Hi, Stella. Hello there, Sasha. How are you? I'm well. So today's interview with January Littlejohn was really, really good. Yeah, I've been watching January over the years. And when she arrived, she first of all arrived kind of in a newspaper, as far as I remember. And she was suing her school. They had socially transitioned her kid. And at the time, I thought, wow, the world has been waiting for this. A parent to stand up to the school and say, you've no right to do that. You've no right to take away my power. And what a lovely model of an authoritative parent she is. Like she just, she's strong in her role as the mother it's it's, yeah. it's 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 a phenomenal conversation she she's a very 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 impressive woman yeah and what's really interesting too that this is a point I don't hear people making a lot is that she said you know there's this misconception that because my daughter desisted she must have been not really that bought in or she must have been very pliable I guess to yeah. our parenting but she said it was hell the whole way through and so she tells us a little bit about that of how her daughter went from this joyful kid who, as she says, radiated joy to being very, very dark, hating herself, going into this really bad mental health spiral, and how she was so fixated on gender and started talking about puberty blockers and surgery. And January had this kind of series of little realizations that something was very wrong at the school, which, of course, led to the culmination and, and the lawsuit that you mentioned. She's a woman of action, January. So when she saw it, she clearly had some really, really terrible kind of experiences with when the kid was kind of, you know, going downhill or certainly on a downward spiral. And then she, she really, she activated herself. She researched, she found this kind of, as she calls it, an archaic website (laughs) that it was gender critical and a gender critical forum. And then she kind of gathered herself. And she just started to fight back and um, she put in a huge, like, you know, she put in a huge amount of kind of implemented a plan yeah. that I, I'd love people to kind of be inspired by January's story. I know. Because it's, she really, it's, it's so good. Yeah. And she just really had a, a belief in herself as a parent that this is something she had to do, which is such a nice foil to the kind of resignation and desperation and like loss of hope that a lot of families experience. She really kind of dug in there and um, there's a lot she did. So we'll, we'll share that with you. I'll read her bio and then we'll jump into the episode. So January little John is a wife and stay at home mom in Florida with a background in mental health counseling. In 2020, her then 13 year old daughter was socially transitioned at her public middle school without the parental knowledge or consent. Since then, January has become a parental rights advocate and a senior fellow parent advocate with Do No Harm, and she helps other families navigate this crisis with their children. And before we jump into the episode, if anyone doesn't know, we are officially on Substack now. <laughs> so, and it's really cool. See our, you on our, Substack. Yeah, our community <laughs> is so much more engaging and robust. And so if you go to widerlenspod.com, you can join our listener community there. And there are other ways you can financially support us. We have a few paid membership tiers, which you can check out. And please do share the Substack with friends for an opportunity to get uh, free weeks added to your membership. So please do share this <laughs> with others and we will launch into the conversation with January Littlejohn. Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. 
And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. And this is Gender, A Wider Lens, a podcast dedicated to the shifting concepts around gender in our contemporary culture. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we seek to open up the discourse around this hot-button issue. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Hi there. Hello. Very welcome, January. Thank you so much for having me on. We're really excited to talk to you today because many, many parents have a child that's questioning their gender. And to be honest, I mean, I think there are so many different ways to respond that can be effective and helpful. Some people take a gentle approach. Some people take a more assertive approach. But we really want to hear a little bit about your process. And if there was a moment or a a kind of a light bulb for you that led you to think, I really have to take some bold moves here. Yes, um, that's a great question. So, you know, I think a lot of parents will identify with this. Initially, after our daughter came to us and told us she was confused about her sex, the research all pointed toward affirmation. It was very difficult to find anything in the research that gave a variety of treatment options, for instance. And I found this to be very odd because I am a licensed therapist And when you look at any mental health issue, there are, you know, multiple type of therapies to choose from based on maybe your own expertise or what would work best with that client. And so it struck me as odd that the same was not true for gender dysphoria. I finally, I think it was about probably three months into my research that I came across this very archaic gender critical forum. And it was difficult to navigate. It seemed like mostly people kind of using anonymous handle names that would post questions or information. And so I was reading through some of these posts and you can kind of tell on this forum which parents post the most and which seem to really know, especially like people that were trying to talk to medical boards and legislators. Because I think, like myself, many parents, when you figure out what your child is asking for in terms of treatments, especially the medical treatments, we're horrified, we're we're scared, and many are paralyzed by this fear, and I was certainly one of them especially as you're watching your child deteriorate in real time. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to one of the moms on this forum, at least I thought it was a mom, and she agreed to talk with me. And we talked for about an hour. She would not tell me her real name. And she told me that you need to pull your child from school right now. This was directly after we had found out that the school had socially transitioned her without our knowledge or consent. Mm -hmm. So I was still in denial in a lot of ways about how serious this issue was for my child. I was very much in denial about the need to pull her 
from the environment in which she had been in. I think that having the school did what they did, obviously, put me in that position faster than it would otherwise have. And it's been four years, so sometimes it's hard for me to remember which happened first. Mm -hmm. But I'll never forget talking to this woman because this was a really tragic story. And I actually think that her story was in Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage. Her daughter had found the ideology when she had gone away to a very prominent college. Yeah. And within six months' time, her daughter became transidentified as a male, had gotten a double mastectomy, and had started demanding they call her a male name, treat her as a male. And, of course, her parents were, you know, confused by this sudden announcement. This girl, like my daughter, was very bright. She was gifted. And they really didn't even give the, the daughter didn't even really, really give the parents time to digest this information before she, she cut them off. Mm -hmm. It's been years now. I still sometimes check in with this mom. And in all honesty, that really terrified me. Yeah. And that conversation, you know, it really showed me where this could go. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified of losing my daughter. We had been yeah. so close and to see the drastic change in her that we saw in such a short amount of time, especially in our relationship. And of course, when the school stepped in the way that they did, it further put that wedge between us. Mm -hmm. But that was the first real indication. Someone kind of shaking me through the phone, telling me, I was you. You don't understand. You need to get your daughter out and you need to get her out now. It's amazing. So yeah, it's amazing how many times people who, who had a big challenge in life and somebody somewhere said the right thing at the right time. And you went, oh, you, me, any of us mm -hmm. went, oh, I need, you know, it just kind of changes everything. Sadly, it's very often not the parent or the very close relative who says the life changing thing. And it's very often the parent who's trying to say the life changing thing. Do, do you know what I mean? But um, that 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 woman did you a, a, her honesty um, to say that because it's very hard to, from one parent to another to say that. Do you know what I mean? I was only meeting a parent the other today actually, and it was just in having a coffee. But I wanted to say something, but you don't want to say something as abrupt as that because it's it's it feels like it could end badly. You know what I mean? What it feels like kind of invasive, like there's something invasive about making that bold of a statement. Well, and I think that you all can contest to this. You meet these parents who have lost everything. And when you get to that point, you've got nothing else to lose. And I got to that point. I saw us losing my child. And I remember... You know, we have a nice home. We're not wealthy, but we certainly live much better than I lived growing up with a single mom. And I remember being in my backyard and just sobbing, sobbing, pleading with God. And I remember thinking, I will give it all up. I was, oh, I was bargaining. I'll, I'll get, take it, take it all. Yeah. I just want my daughter back. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw? Because you used the word deteriorating. And I just want to kind of paint the picture here because there are definitely families where their child has been playing with gender names and pronouns for a couple of years. Their school academics are perfect. Their friendships are strong. Their family relationships are strong. And they may be listening to you and thinking, what's the big deal? You know, kids playing with words. Our kids not rushing into medicalization. There's no self-harm, et cetera, et cetera. But I think your story is actually um, an example of something we see a lot, which is like a complete decompensation in the child. So can you can you help uh, listeners understand what was going on for your daughter before all of this started and what did you see deteriorating? Sure. So, you know, this was the height of COVID, but, you know, like so many of these other kids, it started months prior to that. We were not aware we started seeing her pull away and we started seeing her with this friend group that she was in. It was the sixth and seventh grade of her middle school. And, you know, our daughter has ADHD, but she's also gifted. So she's always been very quirky. And we knew that one day that's going to serve her well. But, you know, initially when you're growing up and growing into who you are, it makes social situations very challenging. So she had difficulty reading social situations, um, making and maintaining long lasting friendships. But when she fell into this friend group, they became hyper focused on LGBTQ identities. You know, all of their conversations surrounded these identities. When they would play video games like Roblox, they would use you know, the characters that, you know, because a lot of these video games lend themselves well to these trans-identified children because they get mm -hmm. to create mm -hmm. what they feel like they want to be and see. And so for our daughter, I mean, we literally went from vacations where she's wearing a normal bathing suit to two months time where she's telling us she's no longer comfortable in her body. She was refusing many of her clothing, which was pretty gender neutral anyway. Um, it was a lot of like science type clothes, NASA. She's very artistic. So, you know, like just graphic t-shirts mm -hmm. kind of thing. But the deterioration happened, <clears throat> especially after the school started to affirm her in that identity as non-binary. And I think that your audience will identify with this. Her identity changed four times over two years. Yeah. So for a lot of these kids, it starts in the sexuality. So she would, you know, say things like pansexuality, bisexuality, and then that morphed into the gender identity ideology. And what age was she? And were many of the other kids, you know, cycling through different identities? They were. And so this was around age 12. And of course, none of these children had any kind of romantic experience, not that we would want them to, but, you know, no one had had their first kiss. No one had held hands yet, but she had girls in her friend group wearing binders mm -hmm. and talking about this at school. And so in my clinical training, I had never heard the word non-binary. I had never heard the word gender fluid, you know. 
a clinician could have gone their entire career and never encountered someone suffering from gender dysphoria or being trans identified. But the deterioration, she became very agitated. My daughter was quirky, but she was happy. She was mm -hmm. joyful. She radiated joy. And mm -hmm. that little girl was gone. Her eyes, everything was angry. She was sad. She was um, very withdrawn, but just, I think the anger was so palatable and angry with us and angry with everything. And she also, it was evident that there was just a discomfort that was not present before. And over time, she really started to disassociate from the body parts that she was uncomfortable with. And even though we, you know, took very radical steps, even when she was still at the middle school, because we did after the school socially transition her with the gender support plan, we did try to pull her and we were turned down by two private schools in town. And I don't know if it was a COVID issue because again, this was fall of 2020. 2020. So this was the height of COVID, but it was very, very tragic to watch your child suffer, but then be celebrated in that suffering at school and by friend groups. You know, one of, one of the things that I did during this time was I wrote a lot. I would get up in the middle of the night just crying, thinking it was a bad dream. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote just to get my feelings out because I was so distraught. And one of the things that I wrote is how do you fight a monster that you can't actually see, but is literally everywhere? Mm. Because during this time, it was almost like these little signs that I just awakened to that I had never noticed. Wow. Everywhere around us, whether we went to Target or the bookstore or the school, she was being affirmed everywhere. How did you find out about her being affirmed at school? Like at that point, you already knew that her and her friends were quite obsessed with these identity labels. Did you know that your daughter herself had started playing with various labels? And I guess like, tell us about how you discovered the school piece, because this is obviously a huge part of what you do now is like advocating for parents and how they can get involved with the school. But take us back to that moment and those kind of discoveries. So thankfully, our daughter had come to us. There are parents that I have spoken to that had no idea their child was even struggling with this identity yeah. until they saw a name written on a, you know, a, an assignment oh, yeah. or mm -hmm. someone let it slip somehow. Because what happens is is when a child is socially transitioned in this manner at school and it's kept secret from the parents, everybody is in on it except for the parents. Yeah. So our situation was a little bit different in that she told us during May of 2020. So this was during the time where schools were shut down and That's they right. never went back. So our school shut down in March of 2020 and then remained online through the remainder of that school year. Now, during that time, she was seeing a counselor provided through the school. Because 
like so many other kids with ADHD, the online learning they were provided was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame the teachers. They were doing the best that they, they could with the time that they had to prepare for this. I mean, who could have prepared yeah. for something like this? Yeah. But it was a complete waste of time. It really was. And so, you know, giving an, a kid with ADHD a computer to do meaningless assignments is like putting them in front of, I don't know, some, some kind of addictive machine because she was mm-hmm. constantly finding herself on something different as opposed to doing these meaningless assignments, which who could blame her? She's yeah. a very bright girl. And it was, like I said, it was a complete waste of time. I mean, we did yeah. untold damage during that time yeah, to these we kids. Did. We did. And so when the fall started, you know, she had told us she was confused. It started to escalate. So this was also part of that deterioration for our daughter. It wasn't like she played around with this because of her ADHD and her tendency to perseverate. She's very much an all or nothing kid. It's either Mm -hmm. I'm going to dive in head first Mm -hmm. or I'm not going to touch it. And so for her going from I think I may be gender fluid. No, I'm non-binary. That fits me better. Quickly morphed into new name, demand of pronouns, wanting a binder, not feeling comfortable wearing bathing suits, needing, you know, all of these kind of things to adapt to this new identity. So when school started, I had reached out to a teacher via email. And many of your audience members may have heard this part of my story before. Mm. But long story short, the person I contacted and let her know about this was the LGBTQ advocate on campus. So I had let her know that our child was struggling, we were not affirming at home, that we had solicited the help of a counselor. So this was separate than the school counselor. The school counselor had said, you know, this is above my expertise. You really need to find someone that can really help you navigate this with your child, which we did. And I really thought the school was going to treat it like a nickname. At the time, I don't feel like I fully recognized my parental authority. And so, you know, hindsight, of course, is 2020. But a couple of weeks went by and my daughter got into the car and said, Mom, I had a name about my, excuse me, I had a meeting about my name today. And they asked me which restroom I wanted to use. And so that one statement is really what propelled us into this really a huge state of chaos. I mean, this, our lives today look drastically different than it did in 2020. And so, you know, we, the communication, they, they completely cut me out. I had emailed the guidance counselor. I was told that they couldn't give me inf- any information about the meeting that my daughter was now protected by a non-discrimination law. So we went back and forth for many weeks. We're finally given an in-person meeting with the principal of the middle school. And mind you, I knew this principal. I was volunteer of the year at this school. I ran their copy. I want to say something about that because like, if anyone's tuning in for the first time and they know nothing Mm. about this, like, it's not like you have CPS called on you once a month and you have this history yeah. of being like a dangerous parent. And that maybe would explain why the school took this like 
ultra protective stance with your daughter. You were a highly involved parent that people had good relationships with at the school. Like, talk a little bit about that, because this is so disproportionate and strange. That's why this is like upside down world when it comes to gender. But can you just say a little bit more? Yeah. And tell us a little bit about where were the school? Was it one LGBT advocate that was kind of pushing everything? Did you get a picture of what went down in the school back then? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where a lot of my confusion was coming from is, you know, my daughter had a 504 plan. So, and I I mean, the ungodly amount of forms that you have to sign at the beginning of the school year, they can't show yeah. her a PG-13 movie without my signature. They can't mm-hmm. use her photo in the yearbook without my signature. They can't give her medication. And I knew from her 504 plan, they couldn't even execute a 504 plan without (laughs) my signature. So I was just really confused, not just from a standpoint of these people know me. I'm in the office multiple times a week running their copy room. It was kind of like a manager position where I facilitated all of the copies for the whole school with parent volunteers. And so it was very perplexing to me how how and why they would want to have a meeting with my child and not include me or at the very least let me know this was happening yeah yeah and so when we sat down with the principal of course you know this was during the mask time so oh, I, yeah. I have a mask on my face and i remember almost not being able to breathe because i was so upset when they put the gender support plan in front of us i was just in such denial that a school that I trusted so deeply to have my child's best interests at heart could have betrayed us in such an insane manner. Because mm-hmm. as you may know, these transgender support plans, they're not just name and pronouns. It's not just a little simple checklist. They are going through a six page plan oftentimes with multiple adults, which was the case with my child. It was the guidance counselor, the assistant principal, and a social worker, a licensed social worker I had never met, sitting down with my 13-year-old daughter in a closed-door room. I mean, that's an incredible power differential Mm -hmm. for a child to be sitting with three adults and ask questions that would have absolutely impacted her safety. Like, which restroom do you want to use? Which shower do you want to use? Which sex do you feel like you want to room with on overnight field trips? And her responses were just so immature Uh because at 13, emotionally, she was only 11. So you're asking an 11 year old girl questions about like, how, how could she even really answer that from a safety standpoint? Like rooming with a male on an overnight field trip? Yeah. And I I would point out another thing that comes to mind. I mean, you had, despite some of the deterioration you were seeing at home, you had a really close relationship with your daughter and she came to you right away. The day that they had that meeting, she said, mom, they had a meeting with me and they asked me these questions. But I want to just kind of think for a moment if let's say there's a family that's going through really difficult situation let's say there's a divorce or the parents are fighting or there's a kind of rift in the parent-child relationship these gender support plans also ask kids questions like 
do you want us to use your birth name in front of your parents while actually at school we'll use your new gender name? Meaning we will co- collaborate with you, right. collude with you to mm. keep secrets from your family. Right. And, and that was part of my daughter's plan. Right. Yeah. Okay. And if you, if you didn't have that relationship with her, this could have prolonged a real mental health identity crisis for, I'm sure it's happening for many kids. That's a hundred percent right. Not to mention, as you all know, the vast majority of these children have co-occurring mental health issues. Yeah. And so in many cases, I have spoken to so many families, unfortunately, that this has happened to because as you know, from the news and other parents that have come forward now, our daughter's case was not isolated. And the guidance counselors were being trained to hide these transgender support plans. So they were not going in these students' cumulative files. So even if a parent were to have withdrawn their child from school or asked to see their records, that support plan was not in their record. Wow. And so we have circumstances where the child is living a double life which is incredibly fracturing and destabilizing to that child, no matter what else is going on, but then to exacerbate those other mental health issues and keep a family, the parents who love that child more than anybody in the world, and the person that's ultimately responsible for that child's medical, physical, and mental well-being. Mm -hmm. It is unconscionable that they are cutting parents out in this manner, and they are grossly unqualified to be taking these steps in the first place because social transition is the first step toward medical transition, as you both know. And it really, for my daughter and for so many of these kids, it's not just affirming this identity. It's solidifying. It is concretizing. Mm -hmm. It is sending a very clear message. This is the right path for you. This is a positive path. And it really felt like they were just cheering her along a path of self-hate, of medical harm, because shortly thereafter, part of that deterioration that we spoke about was her asking about puberty blockers, hormones, cavalierly talking about top surgery as if, you know, their bodies are Legos where they can just take, you know, parts, yeah, paces off and, and apply them back, which we know is impossible and incredibly damaging for them to even be thinking of their bodies in this manner. And was your school particularly kind of woke or progressive or would you have known this about the school that did did it shock you that they did this or did, what did you think? I I was completely shocked. I had no idea that there was an LGBT advocate on campus. And of course, after we saw the gender support plan, I did a deep dive. I'm very good at research and I started researching all of this, because we continue to ask for legal justification. My husband's Mm -hmm. an engineer. We are both Mm -hmm. Mm well-educated, which served us well in this circumstance. And we were finally shown this LGBTQ guide. It was about a 30-page guide. And in this guide, which I never knew existed, never once saw it, it very clearly painted all parents to be an enemy to their children mm-hmm. and under was no this like circumstances. A, a school district guide or was this just like something they printed off the internet or what is this? Because you, you're asking for legal justification. So was this a legally binding document? That's a great question. So it was a guide 
that had not been, ad- not only been adopted by Leon County, where my children were in school, but these guides were in counties all over Florida. And okay. some of them ranged, you know, a couple of pages. And then some of them were 140 pages. And wow. in these guides were glossary of terms. They were misinterpreting laws like FERPA. They were misinterpreting laws like Title IX, claiming that schools had to follow these protocols, that it was the law, that you had to cut parents out of these these transgender support plans, that it was in order to keep the child safe. This was all done under the guise of non-discrimination, the child having a right to privacy from their parents, and keeping the child safe. We want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Genspect and Therapy First. Genspect is an international organization committed to fostering a healthy approach to sex and gender. The team and members of Genspect strive to promote high-quality, evidence-based care for gender nonconforming individuals. Genspect is pleased to offer a non-medicalized approach to gender with their recently published Gender Framework, and they continue to hold conferences around the world. Visit genspect.org to learn more. Therapy First is a non-profit worldwide professional association of mental health providers who view psychotherapy as the appropriate first-line treatment for gender dysphoria. Therapy First supports psychotherapists working with gender dysphoric youth and young adults and offers public education on mental health and psychotherapy. Visit therapyfirst.org to learn more. Now back to the show. How, how long were you kind of in the wilderness with all this? Because I could imagine you were blindsided. Could you tell us a little bit about those days of you thinking, where, what was your understanding of your child's trans announcement and identity? And just tell us a little bit about those days and how long they lasted. It, it was a struggle because, you know, at the time, and, and God bless the parents who this happened to in 2018 and 2019. I know. And they were feeling around in the dark. Yeah. These parents and the, and the people like the Kelsey Coalition and the parents that had the courage to speak out during that time are the real heroes of this medical scandal. Because until Abigail Schreier's book came out in 2020, there really wasn't a lot for parents to go on. We just kind of had this intuitive sense that this didn't feel right for our children. Now, with my clinical background, I also knew that statistically, to have five children in the same friend group identify as transgender is an anomaly. That was, you know, statistically impossible. So, you know, I came up from it from a little bit of a different position because of my clinical training. You know, none of this made sense. The other thing is, if you know anything about child development, we don't take anything a child says at face value, especially, you know, teenagers. They are notoriously bad decision makers. They're going to make mistakes. Their brains are not fully mature. And like I said before, my daughter, she is extremely imaginative. There was a time period where she told me she could grow wings. I mean, this is how imaginative my child was. Mm-hmm. You know, she was perseverating on a Wings of Fire book series. And so she wanted to grow wings as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so as she was telling me these things, I saw that little girl 
I saw yeah. that impressionable, vulnerable little girl that just a few years prior thought she could grow wings. And now she wanted to cut her breast off mm. as if I'm supposed to like go along with this right now. Yeah. And, and when I saw that that was actually happening, it was like being stabbed in the gut. I could not believe there were doctors with medical degrees cutting the breast off of 12 and 13 year old children. Yeah. And I just, I, I knew I had to protect her with everything that I had. And so during that time, you know, it was just, it was devastating. I was really lost. I felt very alone. We weren't telling a lot of people because how do you mm -hmm. talk about this with your neighbors? Mm -hmm. How do you talk about this? I, you know, I told a couple of close friends, but they don't know how to help you. They just kind of look at you yeah. like, Oh, that's sad. And I even had one of, you know, one friend who is liberal say, well, what if this is just who your daughter is? And I couldn't believe she would say that to me. She's known my daughter since she was five. What do you mean this is who she, that's impossible. You can't not be male or female. What, what, what do you mean? So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it was almost like yeah. even people in my inner circle had been seduced by this ideology and I was the only one like not buying it. Like, what are you talking about? Like use some critical thinking skills here. Yeah. And so until I found Abigail Schreier's book, which was around the same time as it was right after we met with the principal. Okay. Because when we finally met with the superintendent, like I thought that was my saving grace. I had all of this information from Segum. I had found Segum by that point. I had found, you know, Transgender Trend and some of these other organizations that had been, you know, fourth wave now. I had printed a bunch of information. Right. I had Abigail's book with me and I thought, okay, I'm just gonna present the evidence. I'm gonna let them know how damaging this was, not only to my family, but that this whole ROGD, you know, cohort of girls, yeah. It's harming them. Yeah. And I brought it all to the meeting <laughs> thinking they're going to care. They're going to be horrified. Yeah. I, and I, that's your, not what happened. Your kid was textbook ROGD in many ways. So yes. it's amazing. You had your strong parenting background. You had your mental health. You had everything. You had the education and you had classic manifestation really of ROGD. But I didn't have... I, 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 what I didn't have was the knowledge that this ideology existed. Yeah. Yeah. I you didn't sound know. Like, yeah. You sound like me in 2015 when I was working in the middle school. And mm. I, I mean, Abigail's book wasn't out yet, but yeah. I was really starting to build momentum. And I had just like reams of digital information that I kept sharing with my supervisor. And I was <laughs> thinking very earnestly, like, once you read this, your mind's going to be just as blown as mine. And we're going to like really change the way we think about this in our district. And I was so earnestly engaging and I did not understand yet. And meanwhile, wow. my manager wasn't an ideologue, but she was just like, well, we have to trust the experts, the LGBT advocacy groups, you know? So um, I, I just very much resonate with that. And I wanted to just ask, because there are a couple of key moments, I think, in your story, yeah. and I just want to understand timeline. Between 
the conversation with that mom from the forum and the meeting with the school and them affirming your daughter and having that meeting with her secretly, what happened first? Tell us the sequence because it seems like a turning point happened after this meeting that you had with the school. So just line it up. Yes. So we were still kind of feeling out around in the dark and, and now when I spoke to the mom from the forum, I, the school situation had not yet happened. Okay. Because okay. it was the summer. That's so huge, I was still, uh, yeah, it was huge. And so she had told me like all this. Her, yeah. Her predictions almost sound a little crazy. Like I can't tell you my name, right. but this is right. dangerous. And you were right. probably thinking like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I had that a little off, but now, now I'm remembering correctly. I had spoken to her and I even told my husband, I talked to this woman today. She's a little paranoid, but she had some good advice. And I thought, geez, you know, wow, that's, I I really hope that doesn't happen to our family. You know, I just kind of thought, you know, and and I think a lot of people think this. I thought, well, something else must have been happening. Yeah. That's not going to happen to our family. Mm. But something in the back of my mind was be scared. Okay. Like I I was scared. You kind of had the chills. Yeah. I was scared. And so, but I, I kept, you know, I kept, I, you know, you just have this denial protective mechanism mm-hmm. that you think isn't going to happen to your child. So I spoke to the mom. I'm still doing research. We found a therapist around the time that school had started. So we were very early on okay. in this therapist. And I had to talk to multiple therapists, by the way, because yeah. the first one I talked to was a quote, gender therapist that the pediatrician sent us to. And you know, I asked her a couple of questions and I was like, thank you for your time. I'll let you know if we need an appointment. But I knew I wasn't going to go to her. Well done you. I do think there's one thing that happens quite often with mothers and daughters in this context and parents in general, that their gorgeous relationship with their kid, they think will see them through. And I can see why they think that because it's very often a lovely relationship, but it doesn't see them through. And I could, it's, it's, it's a particularly dangerous scenario that happens with that. Yes. And I think, you know, another turning point. So the sequence was talking to the mom, you know, her letting me know I needed to take these crazy radical steps, mm-hmm. me not being there for so many reasons. I mean, I was a product of public school. My husband was mm-hmm. a product of public mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. I was heavily involved. I was a mm-hmm. substitute teacher mm-hmm. in the school Jeez. district. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we had moved to our neighborhood because of the school district. The school. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I was excited for her to go to this high school. Like yeah. I was genuinely bought into her going to this high school and having that same experience that I had. And so after we met with the principal and I realized what happened, I quickly realized this is not the same scenario. Yeah. You know, I, I realized, okay, something is very, very wrong here. Yeah. And I also started seeing her deteriorate. And when we tried to reason with her as we had done in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, as you do with children, Mm -hmm. there was no reasoning. It was like talking to a wall and she was parroting these trans propaganda that she was getting from Mm -hmm. her friends. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I started becoming more concerned at that point because I would ask her questions 
that she should have had some kind of awareness or depth to mm. if this was really something truly real for her. And she had nothing. She could not answer basic questions about how long have you felt this way? What does it mean to feel like a girl? What does it mean to feel like a boy? Yeah. You know, all of those kind of critical thinking questions that we need to be asking these children. And that's really when I started taking this very seriously, especially when the, the questions for, um, or the request for binders and surgeries and things like that started happening. That's when I realized we need to take this very seriously and we need to act now. And did you have a moment and did you make a plan or what, what happened and what, what, what did you do? So after we were turned down by the two private schools, we were devastated. We were all exhausted because we were doing it under the pretense of, because during the COVID going back yeah. to school, the brick and mortar, they were still offering the online. Yeah. It was a mess. And for her to adjust to this, it's called Canvas. For her to adjust to this Canvas program was very difficult. And so we told her we were pulling her for a smaller learning environment. But meanwhile, we were pulling her because of what the school did. Right. Um, during this time, we also took her phone. We did not give it back for over two years. Took it away, hit it, turned it off. Um, we needed to break away from the, the trans influencers that were just speaking lies into her, especially lies about us. And we knew we needed to get her out of the school environment, but we had to weigh homeschooling with me, which would have been a drastic change than, mm -hmm. than what she's used to mm -hmm. versus keeping her in this school environment with a new therapist and all the other changes that were already happening because of COVID you know, hindsight, I think we should have pulled her. I think she would have come out of it. But then if I had done that, I would have never sued the school. And so I think everything happened as it needed to happen. Because as we went through the school year and I did the research, I quickly realized this issue was a systemic issue. This was not just in my county. This was not just my child. This was happening all over America. Yeah. Because the first lawsuit that was filed in this realm was actually in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. They had just filed the lawsuit based on the policy in 2020, but no real harm had occurred up until that point. And so when I took all the information to the school, I didn't think that we were going to be filing a lawsuit. I really thought, like you said, Sasha, that they were going to be horrified, that they mm -hmm. were going to say, oh, we need to fix this. This is not right. And so we tried very hard to resolve this issue with the district. And we did not end up filing a lawsuit until more than a year after the gender support plan was showed to us. And yeah. we just realized they're not going to stop. Yeah. You know, before we started recording, you mentioned January that you've shared your story about the lawsuit in lots of places, but you haven't really shared a lot about how you walked your daughter to desistance. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that, because, you know, I'm observing like you have this very organized way of speaking. You are a confident and strong woman. And I also know from working with so many 
resourceful and intelligent moms like you that when it comes to the relationship with their child, strengthening that is really what allows them to help. Like, for example, you said, you know, I took away the cell phone and I see a lot online and Twitter and detransitioners and desisters talking about this. And it's like, well, you can't just take away a kid's cell phone and expect them to desist. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Because the relationship itself and enriching that connection is actually the the other side of that coin. Like you have to remove the unhelpful influence and fill their life with the love and connection with parents. So I imagine you have lots to say about that, but I want to highlight that because it's not just about taking away the phone. There's so much more that I'm sure you did. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes. And I'm, I, I'm, I have both of you to thank truly because oh. without inspired team therapy and without this podcast, I would have been completely lost oh. because we, Sasha, we pretty much followed what you told us to follow through the videos that you have. And Stella, you know, I think a lot of parents feel this way. I was so angry. Here we are, middle-class family. You have everything given to you. You want for nothing. And, and like, it felt like she was creating this. And so I had to put aside my anger. I had to see her pain because she was in emotional pain. Mm-hmm. So we affirm the pain, but never the identity. And mm-hmm. a lot of people have this misunderstanding because our child desisted that, oh, she must have not been that engraved in the ideology or, you know, it must have been not been that bad. It was hell. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking tantrums when we wouldn't call her the name she wanted to be called. But like you say to do, we set loving but firm boundaries And you're exactly right. And and I tell parents this now that I help. You have to repair that broken relationship, whatever it takes, because you cannot even begin to affect change or even plant seeds with your child if she doesn't trust you, if that relationship is not healed. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there is something broken in all of these families. You don't Mm. have completely whole families being susceptible to this. If, if there, if that has happened, I have not encountered it yet. And that includes my own. I had to come to terms with things about my parenting that contributed to this. You know, of course I could have never controlled what the school did, which of course exacerbated the issue, but there were already vulnerabilities within mine and my daughter's relationship that made this issue possible, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, a lot of the social issues and things and that friend played a part, but had we not repaired that relationship and it took an extraordinary amount of work and a lot of one-on-one time was spent with her. Mm -hmm. A lot of, you know, I'm a very feminine woman But we had to show her because I think a lot of moms, especially the moms, we blame ourselves. We play the what if game. What if I, what if I cut all my hair off? What if I stopped shaving my legs? Did Mm -hmm. I cause this to happen? Mm -hmm. And no, the mom didn't cause it to happen, but you play a critical role in parenting your child through this. And I use that word intentionally because 
you have to parent this issue just like you would any other issue your adolescent is experiencing. One of the things that mother said to me, in addition to like, you need to pull your child now, Mm -hmm. she said, you need to get her away from that friend group. If those friends were giving her heroin, would you have a problem cutting her off? Would you keep her in that school? And so those words haunted me Mm -hmm. because if I had taken her caution and, you know, heeded those warnings that summer, you know, I, we, we may have been in a different place, but there were a lot of things that we did. You know, we set the healthy boundaries. We said very simply, you can explore who you are becoming but if it's going to harm you physically or psychologically, our answer has to be no, because our number one job is to keep you safe. And that's something I've been telling my children from a very young age. I never wanted to be one of those friend moms. God bless my mother, but she was a friend mom. I know what happens when you don't give a child guardrails. And I did not want that for my children. And so we allowed her as much room as was possible to feel in control over how she dressed, how she presented herself. As hard as it was for us to allow her to cut all her hair off, we did that. Her hair is almost down her back now. And so, you know, again, I didn't want to fall into the stereotype stereotype trap of, Mm Hair makes you less or more of a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a ridiculous notion. Yeah. But I knew she had to come out of this herself. I was not going to be able to talk her out of it. So yeah. we started being very creative. I also knew that this, in some ways, was a power struggle. Oh, yeah. And so I very plainly would say to her, when you are old enough to make these decisions because we talked to her about brain development. We did get her to agree to not make any permanent changes to her body until her brain was fully developed, which was around 27. So we would say this over and over. When your brain is Mm -hmm. fully developed and when you are financially independent, you will be able to make these choices for yourself. And we know that once you do research and you have this life experience, that you're going to make the best decision for yourself. Mm. So we kind of put that power back on her. And I separated this decision from me. Mm -hmm. I said, I am a grown woman. What you do to your body only impacts you. I've had my children. I've, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old or however old I was at the time. Mm -hmm. I just kind of, I needed to draw that separation because I think that part of our issue was there was some enmeshment Mm -hmm. and some attachment issues going on that we needed to address. But we introduced her to lots of different types of women. I took her to a horse farm. I showed her lots of different types of women. And I also think it's important for parents to give their children an off-ramp. And for her, it was the giftedness. Because we had not spent a lot of time talking about what it means to be gifted. Mm -hmm. So we contacted a woman in Mensa and we called it her gifted coach. (laughs) And she had several of these kind of Zoom sessions with this woman 
to talk about her experience being gifted as a young woman. Oh, wow. And I just wanted to plant those seeds. And you could do this with lots of different things, you know, whatever it is, if it's ADHD, if it's autism. Mm -hmm. But I wanted her to see there's another reason why you feel uncomfortable with your body. There's another reason why you've always felt like you're kind of an outsider from other girls, especially your age. And can I ask... When you were putting in all of these, because you were doing quite a lot of different things, did you feel you were getting anywhere? Or did you, did, did you think, I'll just keep trying? I, 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 you know what I mean? It was very clear that there was not going to be a straight line out of this. And that, that same mother that I had spoke to before, oh, yeah. she said, buckle up. Yeah. You don't understand this now because you're only two months in. This is going to be years. Yeah. And I just thought, years? Mm -hmm. I can't yeah. even take two months. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You're telling me I'm going to be dealing with this for years? Yeah. Yeah. So it was just quite extraordinary yeah. that this woman just kind of really understood. And so we tried a lot of different things. And some days it felt like we were taking a couple of steps forward mm -hmm. and then five steps back. Mm -hmm. Because at times of high stress, or on her menstrual cycle. Yes. The identity would get stronger. Yes. And the power struggles would be more intense. Yeah. So she mm. would go weeks without us fighting about the name or me not affirming mm. her. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it would blow up. Totally. And I had to bite my tongue, be calm, set firm boundaries of we can talk about this when you calm down. Mm -hmm. I love you. I mean, it just was so exhausting and had you pulled her out of the school or what had you done at this stage she was still in the school at this stage wow. we did not really start seeing change until we pulled her and i tell you one thing that we did and you know i realized that i'm we're blessed to be able to do something like this yeah the last day of that middle school we took the kids and we went on a sailboat in the Keys with no cell service. My husband was in the Navy. He used to live on a sailboat, so we didn't have a captain. It was nothing, like it sounds very glamorous. I promise you it wasn't. I thought we were gonna die a couple of times. <laughs> but, but it was an incredible experience just to see her in the water yeah. and in the sunshine and just being a kid again because that's what was so heartbreaking. And what she talks about a lot now is that she lost two and a half years of her life oh. to this. These kids become so obsessed on yeah. passing yeah. is something they can never become. And she mourns that time. Yeah. She is angry about what the school did now. She mourns the time that she spent hyper fixated on this identity. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't talk a lot about her personal experience. There's a lot that was happening. Um, I have alluded to things that she was doing was very similar to coping mechanisms that anorexics use. Mm -hmm. But it was heartbreaking because at the heart of this is such an intense self-hate. Oh. Yeah. And it really felt like she was trying to kill off that little girl. Yeah. And move on from her. And 
it broke my heart. Oh. I mean, she looked so different. She was miserable. And I wanted, I wanted my daughter back. I wanted my spunky, yeah. quirky, smart, joyful daughter back. And I knew she was in there somewhere. Yeah. We just had to help her walk through this. You know, there's so much emotional turbulence with a desister story. And I think, you know, in the public media now, detransition is getting a lot of attention because of the very kind of like obvious, tangible, physical harm, but there's so much psychological harm. So maybe when we shift over into our exclusive content for the listener community, you could talk a little bit more about what your daughter's reflections are like now, you know, because you, you kind of alluded to that. Before we wrap up this main portion, do you want to talk a little bit about your work as a senior fellow parent advocate with Do No Harm? I would love to. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And I just do want to say, I want to hit on one more thing. Sure. The siblings. Mm. They often get lost in this. I have two other children. Yeah. The trans identified child tends to take up a great deal yeah. of time All and energy. energy. It really sucks a lot out of the family because so much centers around that child during that time. And I just want to caution parents to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your marriage. Yeah. If it's still intact, this is extremely hard on a marriage. Extreme. And that you're paying attention to the other children. My, my youngest son, he, we still joke about it that he, he doesn't even know we're in a lawsuit still. Like he is literally living ignorant, you know, bliss. Hmm. But my middle son was only a year behind her in school. And so he really experienced the brunt of it because yeah. he was wow. living it with her and he was scared and concerned for his sister. And yeah. so it's really important to, to give attention to those kids and what they're experiencing too. But my role at, at Do No Harm is something I'm very passionate about. And I, I do this, I volunteer my time for them. And I help parents walk their children through this confusion. I have helped to create a resource page on their website, which is donoharmmedicine.org. There's a tab protecting your child from gender ideology. And there you will find all of the resources that we found helpful, including resources for detransitioners, therapists, and legal resources if you need them. Mm -hmm. But I want to give parents hope that you can walk your child through this. And it, in my experience, it takes radical steps. I have known parents not only to do what we did, which was pull their children from school, which seems pretty radical. I have known parents to move states. Yeah. Or countries. This is, this is, yeah, this is not uncommon. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't say that lightly, yeah. but it's really important for parents to understand to truly rescue your child from this ideology, oftentimes it takes a radical reset for the entire family. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I mean by it was hard on siblings. Like I didn't yeah. just pull my daughter. I had to pull all of my children, especially once we filed that lawsuit. It became very clear that my boys were no longer in a safe environment either. Yeah. So. Thank, you. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's, it's a fascinating and a very heartening story. 
and uh, you know your 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 daughter's lucky to have you we're going to move over to our exclusive content for the premium members and i do want you to talk a little bit when we get over there about how to manage desistance because so many parents write to me and sasha asking mm-hmm. i think i'm seeing a desistance what will mm-hmm. i do around right. desistance it's a yeah. hot hot subject especially yes. at the moment which feels like there's almost a contagion of desistance happening like it does seem to be very common this question but it's not an easy process to manage but anyway, no it's not thank you very very much um it's been a pleasure to have you yeah thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for having me thanks for joining us this week on gender a wider lens if you enjoyed the show please rate and review us on apple podcasts or spotify and be sure to visit us on substack by going to widerlenspod.com There you can join our listener community, access bonus content and resources, plus learn about additional ways to support the show. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.